Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Merry Christmas. I love that. I love it. I, I love Christmas and excited to uh, continue in our Christmas series. It's been a while since I've been up here to preach, so I do feel a little rusty, so you need to be nice to me this time, unlike last time, uh, whatever happened. Um, Christmas is about relationship. Christmas is about relationship. When you think Christmas, there's a lot of things that can come to mind, um, but relationship should rise to the surface uh, as we continue to walk with God, get closer to God, because Christmas was about restoring and reconciling relationship, us and God. And he did it in a marvelous way, a, a, a radical way, a supernatural way, and that is the story of Christmas. This series is called Emmanuel, God with us. And Pastor Scott this last week kicked this series off and he took us to the right place to start, the Christmas story. You have Mary, you have Joseph, you, you have baby Jesus coming. And an angel came to Joseph as they were engaged and then learned she's pregnant, not by him, but miraculously, an angel guided Joseph and said some very crucial things. In Matthew 1, he said this, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We saw in that that this is not the only place, the only time that God was with his people, and he took us back to Genesis. And before I get any further on my message, if you need a Bible, our usher is going to come forward and make one available to you. Just raise your hand. He took us to Genesis, and with Genesis, he brought us to Adam and Eve, and God, it says that God walked in the cool of the day. He was with them. He was present with them, and it was revealed that God is our maker. God is our creator, and he even went as far to say God is our soulmate. He knows us better than anyone else. Merry Christmas. And that's not the only time that God had revealed himself and was with us. As, as there's numerous times, we're going to high center on one time in particular, one more in the Old Testament, and that's with Moses and Israel and being called out of Egypt. If, if you're new to the Bible, you're new to that story, I want to paint a, a quick picture before we get into uh, a lot of details and connect a lot of dots. You had um, Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Joseph. These are like the pillars of the faith, the fathers of the faith. Uh, for Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That God was going to do a miracle through him, create a nation from him. And they were going to be the people of God. And so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons. And one of them was Joseph. Well, he got a, on his brother's bad side and they sent him off and sold, to, sold him to slavery to Egypt. 
From there, the family ended up going to Egypt, all of them, and they were blessed. God blessed them and they became numerous and they became a dominant force and threat to Egypt, which was the powerhouse of the world. They controlled everything. Pharaoh controlled everything. He was thought to be God, believed himself to be God. He was a big deal. He was the cat's meow in the world. And so as Israel grew, God was calling Israel to come out of Egypt. Now there's some symbolism with Egypt that's important. When you think Egypt, you should think sin. You should think slavery, like bondage to sin. You should think the pleasures and satisfactions temporarily of sin. And then God called them out called them out to be of God, to be his people, to be his followers, to love him, to worship him, and to be set free from that bondage. That's the story that we're going to highlight in High Center today. We see with Israel, God was Israel's guide. That's how God was with them. God was Israel's guide. And he did it in a particular way, as a pillar of fire and of cloud. And we'll keep kind of walking through that a bit. But if you think about a guide, whether it's a historical guide, a local guide, a wilderness guide, a rafting guide, a tour guide, right? Lots of different types of guides. There's some common denominators regardless of what their specialty is. Like they're going to be present with you, guiding you. They're going to be present with you. They are an advisor with wisdom and insight that you don't have. They have a big picture in mind. They have a big plan. They know history that you don't. They are going to influence your course as you go along the journey. They're going to help you navigate dangers that you may not be aware of. And they are an authority of sorts in XYZ. Now, here in this story, we're talking about God as Israel's guide. So he is all of that and more. He is the guide of all guides for Israel and guiding them in and on this trip. And so we're going to look at, actually, before I get to that passage, I want to give you just a picture. For those of us that are visual like myself, here's a picture of the cloud. Okay, this is a rendition of what it could be like, what it could have looked like for God as a cloud guiding them by day and the people following him as he moved. Here's a picture of the fire over the tabernacle, over this portable temple, this portable worship center and God being present, his presence being there guiding them. With those in mind, we're gonna step into the story to the first day that God calls Israel, the people of God, out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. And it looks like Exodus 13, verse 21 says this, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. God was with them. God was guiding them every step of the way. 
God continued to guide him as he brought him to Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb. This is the mountain of God. And he gave them the Ten Commandments as a guide. That is an authoritative guide. This is how you are to relate to me. This is how you're to relate to one another. I'm going to help you out with some really important life principles. Exodus 19 says this. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. It was a fierce presence as God was revealing part of himself to the people. God continued to reveal himself and and he used Moses as a servant to guide the people of God in this journey, in this process. And we see this in Exodus 33. And the people sought out God's guidance by going to Moses. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. So there's two tents of meetings. There's a temporary one that Moses started with. And then there's the tabernacle, also called the tent of meeting, that we're going to kind of talk about. So this is the pre one that he had outside of the camp. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside of the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses and it said, face to face like a friend. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Now, I'm gonna highlight a couple things because rarely, rarely do you see Israel do some good stuff. There's like bummer after bummer after face plant after mistake after unfaithfulness. This is one of the shining moments. They worshiped God. They couldn't help but respond to God's presence, God's realness, God's power. As they saw him leading, guiding, and with them, they couldn't help but worship. That's the right response. He continued to guide them. He continued to guide them with this tabernacle. Once the tabernacle was complete, this portable worship center, this sanctuary on wheels of sorts, that they, as God moved, they would move and they would reestablish this. As Hebrews 8 says, the tabernacle was a replica of what was in heaven. God guided Moses and downloaded very specific instructions to this tabernacle to replicate what is in heaven. It's a pretty cool thing. It's a pretty amazing thing, a pretty powerful thing. And he guided them to do this and then they built it. And once it was complete, this is what happened. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting 
because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night and in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Picture that. Can you imagine that from day to day waking up at an Israelite and seeing the cloud, seeing the fire day after day after day after day? Could you imagine being raised up in that as a little kid? And you see the presence of God active day after day after day. In addition to all these other miracles of there's this bread that shows up every morning except one day on the Sabbath day. And all these other pieces of just seeing the presence of God, the power of God being very, very real. It is clear God was their guide. And there were some things that he was wanting to guide them in because there were some things he was wanting them to learn. There were some crucial things God was wanting them to learn. In this story, you have Israel being under slavery in Egypt and God calls them out of Egypt and they had a destination and it's called the promised land. God was bringing them to the promised land. He took in this journey, the passages that we just read, he took leading them up to the land of Canaan, the promised land. He took almost a year to do that journey with them. And it was millions of people and it took a long time, but it could have taken 11 days. Why, why would he not have taken 11 days and like, let's get there, promised land, blessings, let's go. Why would he have taken almost a year with them for an 11-day journey? Seriously, why do you think? God is very intentional. He, he's not happenstance. He's not accidental. God is very intentional. He's very purposeful. I believe there were some things that he was wanting them to learn, wanting them to know about him that were crucial for their journey in relationship with him as well as what was to come. And it all came down to trust. It all came down to trust. It all came down to, in other words, faith. It all came down to, in other words, relationship. It all came down to trust. Would they trust God when life got scary? Would they trust God when the road was confusing? Would they trust God when things got hard? Would they trust God when the journey was uncertain? Would they trust God when God told them no in things that they really, really, really wanted or really wanted different? Would they trust God when they didn't understand why? Would they trust God against all the other cultural pressures that they are celebrating and elevating everything else that is forbidden? Would they trust God with those pressures? Would they trust God when the odds are against them or others oppose them? Would they trust God? So like any teacher, any good teacher, 
I'm going to teach you what you need to learn. I'm going to teach you what you need to learn. I'm going to teach you what you need to know. I'm going to, I want you to learn these things, know these things. And then any good teacher tests their students. God brought them to a test. And it was called the promised land. So he spent almost a year, um, a year teaching them things they needed to learn about God. And then it was test time. What did you guys learn? So God brought them to the promised land and said, Go. I'm with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to fight your battles. I'm going to go before you. They said, let's send out 12 spies into the land. So they sent out 12 spies into the land, one from each tribe of Israel. Two of them came back and said, let's go. God is with us. We can do it because God is with us. Ten of them came back and said, we cannot do this. We cannot do this. This is impossible for us. And they swayed the masses. And so the people said, no way, Jose. That's the literal Hebrew word. No way, Jose. And so guess what? They didn't go. And so what God said was, okay, he is a respecter of wills. He didn't force them. He didn't twist their arm. You have choice. I made you like me. You have choice. And so he let them choose to not. Now he said, You guys have been complaining this whole time for up to this year that why did he bring us out of Egypt? We had these comforts and pleasures that we were so attached to. He brought us out into the wilderness to die. Why did he bring us out here to die? And so God said, you've been saying that? Now I'm going to make it reality. Everyone 20 years or older, you're going to go out to the wilderness and die. How many, year, how many days were you out there in the land of Canaan, in the promised land, exploring? 40 days. You're going to have one year for every day you're out there and seeing my goodness, my faithfulness, my provision, and acting in unfaithfulness. Sadly, your kids are going to suffer because of your unfaithfulness. It's not going to go well for you. But I'm going to give them instead the promised land. And so he kicked them out. But guess what? He didn't divorce them. He didn't say, like you and I would, forget you then. Forget you. He said, I still love you. And guess what? The next day, the cloud and the fire didn't go away. They were still there. And so for 40 days, 40 years, God was there, present, real, continuing to guide them to be faithful and true to them, still loving them, nurturing them, guiding them, disciplining them, correcting them, allowing them to make poor choices, learn hard lessons, and continue to walk with God. And God was faithful up to the point of they all die off, the next generation comes in, they're going into the promised land, God gave them a second chance. And they stepped in, they crossed the Jordan River, and the cloud and the fire were done. Not that it never happened again, but that daily with them in that way, that season was done. God spoke to them and led them for a certain way in a certain season for a certain time and that season was done and it was time to grow up in a new way and time to experience God in a new way. God guided them and it was all about trust. There were things God wanted Israel to learn. Things he wanted them to trust him in like, will you watch for me? Will you wait on me? Will you obey me? 
Will you move when I say move? Will you stay when I say stay? Will you wait on me, being patiently trusting me? Will you keep pace with me, not being stagnant, not running ahead? Will you remember my works of what I've done? My works, my faithfulness, my power, how I've revealed myself. Will you hold on to the sacred and miraculous of what I've done and keep doing and not allow it to slip into commonplace and mundane or even disdain? Will you trust me? All right. That's the story of Israel with Egypt. We're going to step out of that story. It's very contextual. It's very circumstantial. We're talking Old Testament. We're talking Old Covenant. We're talking law. We're talking the people of Israel as a nation. We're talking pre-spirit filled. We're talking pre-cross. And there are some things that we clearly see God was with Israel right, through this cloud, through this fire in numerous other ways. And now we're going to look at the story of Christmas. And we're going to see that there were some things that Israel was needing to know about God as he revealed himself. And we see in the person of Jesus, there's some connections to these stories that we need to make and we need to understand in order for us to know God. So let's look to Jesus. Let's look to his words and how this plays into this big story. Jesus said in John 6, when he was speaking to the crowd of 5,000 that he had fed with two loaves and five, two fish and five loaves, some of the crowd came to him and this is what he said. He said, I am the bread of life. Our fathers, the crowd, sorry, I'm getting these pieces confused. The, the crowd came and said this, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Feed us forever, right? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. Jesus's point is he is life itself, period. He is life that is truly life. He is the sustaining factor of life. There is no life outside of Jesus. You cannot exist outside of Jesus. He is the bread of life. He's saying, in this story, this manna story, this miraculous bread story, this Egypt out of Israel out of Egypt story, I was it. I was there. I sustained them. I'm here now offering the same thing. He goes on and he talks about being the light of the world. Think about the fire in the darkness, God leading and guiding them. Jesus says, he's not mincing words here, I am the light not just of Israel, of the world. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Outside of Jesus, we are blind, being led by blind, trying to complete an obstacle course in the dark, hoping we make it. 
with grave consequences in this life as well as the next. But we don't have to anymore. We don't have to try and fight that obstacle course anymore, being blind, following other blind people about them telling us what the purpose and meaning of life is or what, where we're gonna find life that's truly life. Jesus has answered those questions. We don't have to wonder what the purpose and meaning of life is. Jesus answered those questions. He is it. He gives us meaning life. He is the guide to the world. He was not mincing worlds. I am the light to the world. Jesus goes on, and I love this one in John 8. This one's especially cool. Um, He says, before Abraham was, I am. So I'm going to bring you back to this Exodus story. Moses meets God, Yahweh, in this burning bush. And God is telling him, I want you to go to the most powerful force in the world and I want you to tell them, let my people go, okay? And so he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh. (laughs) How am I gonna go to, how am I gonna do this? And God says, I'm gonna be with you. That's good. That's enough. Moses says, but when I go to the people, when I go to the Israelites, my people, and I say, hey, guys, you should follow me, what do I tell them then? Who has sent me? God said to him, tell them I am that I am. I'm it. I am everything. I am life itself, period. I am all that was, all that will be. I am sent him. So fast forward to this story. Jesus is talking to his religious critics, his, these religious leaders that oppose him. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. 1,500 years before Jesus is on earth, he's talking about Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you ain't even 50 years old. How's that possible? You haven't seen Abraham. Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And notice their response. So they picked up stones to throw at him because they knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying he was God in the flesh. He was saying he was God with Moses at the burning bush leading the people of Israel. They knew exactly what he was saying. It was not a slip of the tongue from him. He knew exactly what he was saying because Jesus is God. He is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. He is the guide to the world. Merry Christmas. (laughs) One more here. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock that Israel drank from. 1 Corinthians 10 gives some highlights, some insight to this. It says this, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, the the Israelites, were all under the cloud, same cloud we've been reading about, talking about, and all passed through the sea, the Red Sea, when Moses parted the Red Sea by God and the Israelites passed through safely. And all were baptized into Moses, we'll come back to that, in the cloud and the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, what comes to mind with that, the manna, the bread. 
and all drank the same spiritual drink, the miraculous water that was produced out of a rock. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. A couple things I want to connect here. Remember, Egypt symbolizes what? Sin, darkness, bondage, deception, living for yourself, and the temporary pleasures of sin, which are real, okay? And then God brought them out of Egypt, and he had them pass through what sea? The Red Sea, he parted the Red Sea. They passed through from death, passed through the water to life. They were in bondage and they were brought through to freedom. It was baptism. That is the symbol. That is the picture. Israel was baptized under God's presence being set free from bondage of sin and that self-gratification and death brought to new life by obedience to God, following God, worshiping God, being God's people, following him and receiving his blessing. That's what you need to get from that. And then the other piece is, God is not about pantheism. Jesus being the rock, it's not, he's actually the mineral of, he was present, he was sustaining them. It's the same kind of word picture of, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I was there providing, leading, guiding, sustaining. I am the guide. Merry Christmas. I am the hope of the world. There is no other hope outside of me. Jesus was guiding them then, and he still is now. He's not done yet because he's so good. He's so good and loving and compassionate and faithful and merciful. So I want to I finish with this. As we look at what is our next steps, what, what is Jesus guiding you in? What is he, what is Jesus, the real Jesus, the powerful, personal, real savior and guide of the world, what is he guiding you in? There's things that he's wanting you to learn about him and about life. Jesus wants you to follow him, to put your trust in him, when life is scary, Jesus wants you to put your trust in him when life is confusing. When life is hard and the journey's hard and relationships are hard and the road is hard. When things are uncertain, he wants you to trust him. When he tells you no for some things that you really want, he wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust him when you don't understand. You don't understand why. You don't understand how. You don't understand what. What are you doing? He wants you to trust him in these cultural pressures that are so thick, so real in celebrating and promoting everything that is forbidden. He wants you to trust him in those. He wants you to trust him when the odds are against you and others oppose you. 
Jesus, Jesus wants you to trust him enough to watch for him, to wait on him as if he was a cloud. He's better than a cloud and he's better than a pillar of fire. Be a new covenant, spirit-filled, God with us, Emmanuel. He wants you to trust him, to move when he says move, to stay when he says stay, to wait when he says wait, patiently trusting him. He wants you to keep pace with him, not stagnant and not running beyond him. He wants you to remember his works, how he's been faithful, how he's proven himself, how he's been good, how he's been powerful in your life or others' lives around you, how you've experienced him. He wants you to trust him in holding on to the miraculous and the sacred and not allowing them to become mundane, monotonous, commonplace, or even to disdain them, his normal works of goodness. What's Jesus trying to teach you? What is Jesus wanting you to learn from him about him? Something definitely kind of hit me in this uh, message at this time that he's been getting my attention over a, a number of weeks. And, um, and embarrassing enough, here's, here's the comparison. Um, I relate with Israel's whininess. There's certain... <laughs> there's two of us. <laughs> there... And just being real, there are certain comforts and certain attachments to this world and certain expectations of life and of God that I have. And when those aren't met, I'm left with feeling discontent, disappointed, depressed at times, and sometimes even despairing. There's things in life that I'm putting too much value on. And I know God is saying, why don't you give that to me, surrender that to me, and take what I have for you of kingdom value versus this temporary thing that's not really working out very well. It's not producing good fruit in your life. And I thought it really fitting when that last passage, that 1 Corinthians 10 passage, I kept reading and it really resonated with me. And so I want to read it, 1 Corinthians 10, 6. It says this. This is about Israel. This is about the wandering. This is about called out Egypt. He says this. He says, now these things, all these things, took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Don't be idolaters as some of them were. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. No temptation, no temptation, no temptation 
has overtaken you that is not common to all, every single one of us. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And I feel like God's calling, all right, some of those idols you're holding on to, some of those comforts, some of those attachments, let go. Let go, trust me, follow me in that. Grow up, Pat. Grow up, follow me. What's Jesus speaking to you? What's Jesus guiding you in, wanting to guide you in, wanting you to participate with him on this journey as he guides you? Trust him. Trust him. He's trustworthy. He's proven himself over and over again. And with that, let's stand. Let's sing. Let's worship our King.